And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my friend Lindsay Jones. Lindsay, how you doing? I'm okay, Robert. Um, you know, we're kind of all coming down from the Super Bowl and still digesting everything that happened last week in Tampa and, you know, truly kind of trying to put a bow here on this 2020 season. It was it was weird. It was fun. It was crazy. You know, I just think there's a lot of things that we're going to remember. Um, but I also want to say that we're, you know, you and I are we're sad today. And, you know, when we yeah. when we planned that we were going to do this show, we talked about it super late Sunday night in the lobby of our hotel in Tampa. We <laughs> ran into each other when I had just gotten off a shuttle bus. And, you know, we I think we were really excited to, to kind of do the show. And it was going to th- and I think it will end up being a fun show. We have a lot of fun things I think we want to talk about. But we are sad because yesterday we lost our friend Therese Paler. I know he was on the show recently with you. Um, and he was just a tremendous light in the NFL media space. And, you know, I, I talked to a lot of kind of our colleagues and our friends across the league yesterday. And, you know, I think just the thing about Therese is that he just really was the epitome of what it meant to be a football writer. I mean, yeah. I'm not sure if anybody loved just the actual football, you know, more than Therese did. And, you know, I live in Denver. He lived in Kansas City. So I saw him a lot kind of on the the AFC West beat. And in Kansas City, I was in Kansas City a whole lot over the last couple of years. And, you you just were in awe of him the way you watch watching him work a locker room the the questions that he would ask and i don't know how many times i would think you'd hear him ask a question you know whether it was on a zoom or in the locker room or wherever it was and you would just think god damn that is so smart like, it's always such, every time and again if you would you know there i remember I have such vivid memories of that Kansas City uh, LA Rams game that Monday night game in 2018 mm-hmm. and working the locker room and Therese and i ended up talking to like all the same people and like we were on the same track like we had we looked at that game the same way and there were a bunch of interviews where it was just he and I and I felt like I was like proud of myself because I was like if Therese thinks that this is the story like I know I'm right like I know I'm on the right path and we sat on that shuttle bus going back to the parking garage it was like three o'clock in the morning and it was it was me and all the Kansas City writers and we were just like giggling our asses off because like what the hell did we just watch and you know Therese had the loudest laugh uh, of everybody. And, you know, he just, he was just such a good friend to everybody and such a good mentor to so many young reporters, especially um, young black reporters. You know, he was the first guy to reach out, the first guy to say, to, to reach out to so many of our friends and peers and say, Hey, that was an awesome story. You're doing a good job. And, and it's just been a hard week. You know, the, the NFL media space lost Chris Wessling um, just before the Super Bowl. And, you know, he was such an incredible writer and thinker and really prominent in the NFL podcasting space, too. So it's just, it's been a really hard time. And I just, you know, I told this to you personally when we talked yesterday. And I just want to make sure we're all taking care of ourselves. And it's yeah. just, this is such a hard time right now. This year has been so hard. And I think we let a lot of things maybe go and just 
take care of yourselves, take care of your loved ones, check in on your friends. It's been so hard not to be able to see each other, you know, in person this year. So that's just for us. We're just kind of coming into this space today with a really heavy heart. Um, But hopefully we can also, you know, make you smile, make you laugh over the next hour or so. Yeah. When you called me yesterday, I just immediately started crying. And uh, if I do again, I'm sorry. Um, Sorry. Uh, Yeah. Therese was on the show a couple weeks ago. And for those of you who listened, I hope it was clear how much I liked and respected him. Uh, I'm by myself at my mom's house right now, quarantining for my girlfriend after going to the Super Bowl. And I've been alone with my thoughts a lot in this kind of quiet, empty house over the last day. And I've just spent so much time thinking about him and why this one hit me so hard. I don't remember the first time I met Therese, but from the first time that we spoke, it was just so clear that we were kindred spirits. Like he loved football. He he loved football so much. And whenever I saw him, whether it was at the combine or standing on the sideline somewhere at a training camp, our conversations always had this unspoken backdrop of, can you believe we get to do this? And he saw this job and his role in football media as an opportunity. And it was a chance to learn about the game that he loved. Like you said, I never heard him ask a question, which were good every time that he didn't actually want to know the answer to. And there are so many people who go through the motions of this job, and that was never him. He brought a genuine curiosity and enthusiasm to this industry that made me want to be better at my job. There was just such a humility to the way he talked and wrote about the game. And he just did so many stories that made me sit there and think, God damn it, I wish I thought of that. <laughs> and, and, and and earlier this year, he wrote something about a particular pass rush move the guys around the league were using, that cross, that cross chop kind of Euro step move. And do you know how many national writers would be watching the game with that sort of eye to decide to write about that? Nobody. But that's how he watched it. And I just haven't been able to stop thinking about this boundless energy and passion he brought to the to this job. And a job that leaves so many people cynical and joyless, neither of which he ever was for a single moment. His podcast partner, Charles Robinson at Yahoo today wrote that Therese was kind of like the sun that others orbited around. And I just think that's so perfect. There was such a warmth to him. And I didn't know him nearly as well as others, but even I felt that every single time I was with him. I just truly can't imagine what it would be like to have that in your life every day, that warmth for him to be your partner whether it be professional or personal. And that's why my heart just aches for people like Charles and for his fiance, Ebony. The last time I saw Therese was at the Browns training camp in 2019. And we just stood there and we talked about football all afternoon. And that day, Baker Mayfield grabbed my water bottle out of my hand and like threw it back to me with this no-look pass from like 10 yards away. And Therese thought it was the funniest shit that has ever happened. And... I just have thought about that afternoon so much. And Don Banks was there too. And we lost Don as well. And we've lost so many good people recently, whether it's Therese, Don, Vaughn McClure, Chris Wesseling, and all of them will just be so missed. But today I know that I'll be thinking about Therese the same way I have for the last 24 hours and about what he brought to this job and what he brought to the people around him. And I know that I'm going to try to carry that with me. And it seems silly to talk about football right now and talk about the lessons we learned from the from the season and what we're looking forward to in the off season. But he loved talking about football. It, it almost feels like an appropriate thing to do, to do it with a joy and a curiosity and a humility that he brought to this because he did that every single day. 
And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about football in part because Therese loves talking about football and I love talking about it with him. So that's what we're going to do today. And, and I appreciate you guys coming and sticking around and doing it with us. So let's get to some of those lessons. That was kind of the idea I had was to look back at the season that we had to look forward at the off season that's looming and talk about the things we learned and the things that we're most anticipating. So let's get to those lessons, Lindsay, or just kind of the things that we'll remember. When you think about the 2020 NFL season, what is the first thing that you will think about? I think I can anticipate your answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, as much as I don't want this to be another COVID podcast, we've had to have too many of those conversations this year, but there's nowhere else to start. I mean, that's what this season was. And when we kind of think back to the 2020 NFL time capsule, you know, what are we going to, what are we going to think of? It was all of the weirdness. It was, you know, no off season. It was canceling the preseason. It was empty stadiums. But I'll pick one particular moment, the moment that I'm going to most remember as like the defining weird COVID moment of 2020. And that was the day that the Broncos had to play a game without quarterbacks. Yeah. And it's it so happened that it was here in my backyard in Denver, the team that I you know most closely follow, that I probably have the deepest amount of sourcing with, all of that sort of stuff, a game that I was actually able to attend. I only went to three regular season games this season, and that game was one of them. And you know, I'm going to remember it because it was so freaking weird that that, <laughs> that that game actually happened. I mean, it was this curiosity. But from like a lesson standpoint, it was so instructive on telling us what the NFL's plan was going to be and what they were going to do to make the rest of the season happen. That was November 29th. It was after Thanksgiving. We had already gone through a lot to get there. But we still had so many questions of like, well, what's going to happen when there's another outbreak? Or what's going to happen when a position group is wiped out? And how are they going to get to the postseason? What's or the playoff game? A playoff game. I mean, and you know, when we got to a playoff game and a head coach, Kevin Stefanski, tested positive for COVID, we knew because of what <laughs> I the Broncos that even did. Happened. Right? Um, I mean, there was some weird shit that happened this year. I mean, the Detroit Lions played a game without any coaches and they got their asses beat by the Bucks. which look, <laughs> now we know that the Bucks were just like blowing the doors off of everybody by that point, you know, in December and into January and February. But, you know, it just to me was very instructive of this is what the NFL's plan was. They are making these games happen as long as there's not an out- active outbreak. They're going to get these in on time. They're going to play. It doesn't really matter what the product looks like. They were going to make this happen with the end goal of getting to the Super Bowl in Tampa. And they got there. Like, I can't believe if you would have told me when we recorded our first show, when we did our AFC West preview podcast back in the last week of August, that they would have played the Super Bowl on February 7th without a single game being canceled, only, you know, a handful of games actually being postponed strictly because of COVID. I would have thought you were crazy. But they got there and they got there because of crazy situations like what happened on November 29th in Denver, where Kendall Hinton played quarterback for the Denver Broncos. I think that the league was always going to the inertia of the NFL and its belief in just its position as this monolith has a lot of power. And that isn't always a good thing. It's often a bad thing. And uh, that you could probably argue that they put people in harm's way more than they should have. I was talking, you know, uh, there were some some people that just within the league that they knew this was going to work. They knew it was going to happen because they knew the league was going to to go to any length to make it happen. And I wasn't that shocked, but you still look back at all the moments. Like you said, you forget some of them. I mean, you just forget the fact that we played football on like Tuesdays. And just all those weird, (laughs) just weird rescheduled games. And I mean, beyond that, just the... 
I think the league as a television product did a decent job of understanding how weird it would be if it was totally silent and making the broadcasts seem fairly normal. But it was still so strange to be able to hear everything at the line of scrimmage and for offenses to be able to communicate and how that affected the game. And it just it was such a weird, weird season. And it doesn't feel fake, which I think is a an accomplishment by the league. The fact that it feels like a legitimate year, the fact that the Bucks championship feels legitimate, that doesn't seem like we need to put an asterisk next, next to anything. I think that in, is an accomplishment. But I still think that Sometimes I have to step back and really think about and consider just how strange it all seemed on a week-to-week basis. I, I'll tell you right now, the how football is played and the, how smooth the NFL season goes is like the furthest thing from importance right now. But I am very excited to get back to regularly scheduled programming. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, and I think we'll get into a little bit of that when we kind of start looking forward. I will say we were, we were talking about this, um, our producer Kent. Uh, before we before we started recording today, almost they I think the NFL almost did a disservice with the way that the Super Bowl appeared. And a hundred percent, they they really wanted to make it look and feel like a normal Super Bowl, but I think it needed to be a time capsule moment from twenty twenty, and you know it looked full, and that was because they put those cardboard cutouts you know in every single row, so it was like two humans, four cardboard cutouts, three humans, four cardboard cutouts for every row for the entire stadium and it was almost like if you kind of shut your brain off for a minute and just watched the Super Bowl product and I think a lot of people did this or a lot of people who haven't who watched the Super Bowl and it was the first game they've watched all year were thinking like, oh my God, the NFL is playing a normal game where it didn't really show you the true nature of what the season was like for the players who had more than 200 COVID tests each. Um, you know, the, the intense amount of changes that they went through and how much they had to go through everybody in this league to kind of get the season on board. Instead, you had this game that looked like a normal game. If you zoomed in, you'd see that, you know, a third of those fans were cardboard, but it looked and kind of felt normal. And feeling normal in a time in times that are still completely abnormal just it didn't feel maybe like the right tone to me i completely agree did did it feel when you were there like there were too many people there and that it was just unsafe because i know it was when i was well, at playoff games there were some fans in the stands but it was like little pockets of three people here and there with like a decent amount of space between them it was outside a lot of people were wearing masks at the games i went to i wasn't kind of sitting there kind of wagging my finger at some of the playoff games i attended i'm just wondering how, what the super bowl felt like to you cuz you and i haven't talked about that at all yeah i mean once you were inside the stadium it didn't necessarily feel unsafe. And I got up and I walked around a lot because it still was not a lot of people. I mean, it was still yeah. like a third or less capacity. But then when you would look, you know, so the press box is at almost the top level of the stadium and you kind of have to take all these ramps. And so when you're getting up there, you can look out and see the whole kind of Super Bowl experience. And there was a concert going on. It was like Miley Cyrus or something. And all those people that were out there at this concert and Tampa did put in a outdoor mask ordinance very shortly before the Super Bowl, basically anticipating that there were going to be a lot more people around and gathering outdoors, but it was very hit or miss. And those were the, the times where I wondered like, did they have to do all this stuff? Because hit or miss so the point that intense... I was in Tampa for eight days and didn't know it existed. Like, it, hit or miss, yeah, like I, mean, I didn't even know there was an outdoor mask ordinance and I was there for a week. So when I, I wrote this very late Sunday night, 
about kind of how it really felt like there were kind of two worlds and these competing interests that were going on all week mm-hmm. in Tampa, where there was like the side that was the the football part, you know, all of the really intense protocols and making sure that, you know, that there were no infected players that were going to be on the field and all of the the efforts that they that they took to kind of keep the players and the staff safe. And then, you know, this promotion, you know, we're bringing in vaccinated healthcare workers and we're going to talk about our, you know, our frontline heroes and all of this stuff while you're also at the same time throwing this gigantic party where, you know, look, look, there we're recording this on um, Wednesday morning and the Bucks are getting ready to have their um, boat parade. And it's similar that the, the Lightning did a boat parade earlier this year and they say it's a socially distanced boat parade and it's intended to keep the players safe. Right. Like it's keeping the players from out of these big crowds and, you know, promoting social distancing. But everything else that goes around these big events, you know, that that river walk is going to be packed. You know that there's going to be people everywhere. And so I still am just kind of holding my breath and praying that this wasn't a major super spreader event that while the NFL said that they were, you know, everybody who came to the stadium got an N95 mask. Did they wear it? How well was it enforced? I know there were tons of stadium security people who were there tasked with trying to enforce it. But look, there was a freaking streaker on the field. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, security protocols. So that that was what was, I think, what was really kind of hard about it was feeling like the players, they had kind of gotten there as safe as they could. Zero positive tests from players over the, the previous three weeks heading into the postseason. Just one from a staff member the week before the game. All of that stuff is great. But if the event that you created ended up being ends up being a super spreader for the fans involved and other people there, then you're really kind of going against your entire mission of trying to get this season off safely. I totally agree. And I just think that it, the optics-wise and just the overall presentation and what talking about again safety and keeping people safe and all of that the way they presented it i think that they did the wrong thing i understand why they would want to do that but i I completely agree with you looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, let's get to the actual football that was played this year. So my first one here, I, I also just had the strange COVID season is the thing I'll remember the most. But the thing I'll remember the second most, I think, is just kind of the rise of the younger quarterbacks around the NFL. You know, I when I think about the 2020 season, one of the first things I'll think about is watching Justin Herbert play. And just how kind of shocking it was that he was so good. I mean, he was a guy that 
it, it really was in the eye of the beholder what you thought of him pre-draft and for him to come in and just look like such a talented guy right away. And also, you know, that extended to guys like Josh Allen to a certain degree. You know, these guys that were so just kind of raw but talented coming in and what they could look like dropped into the modern NFL. You know, that watching Justin Herbert and just kind of making a point to sit down and watch Justin Herbert, just I, I don't, was, and that afternoon slot, just being like, oh man, the Chargers are playing. This is exciting. And just not for any of the players that we thought we'd be excited to watch like Joey Bosa was hurt a ton this year Derwin James didn't play it was Justin Herbert he was the guy I wanted to tune in and watch and I just never anticipated that and then with the Bills they were appointment TV I mean their offense was one of the more fun elements of the entire NFL to watch this season the Stefan Diggs trade just dropping him in with Josh Allen and watching that group work it really just felt like with those guys Patrick Mahomes Deshaun Watson to a certain extent the step that he took forward you know the idea that Tom Brady won the Super Bowl and the football establishment is still at the top of this league but you have this group of younger players this younger kind of endlessly talented collection of quarterbacks that is absolutely something that I will be that will stick with me from this year for a while. Yeah, absolutely. And I had, you know, I had the Josh Allen ascension as as on my list here of um, of things. And it's uh, I'm right in line with you, Justin Herbert. And I will say, if we're looking back on the year, I'm not sure if I had a more fun moment on this podcast than the day that Justin <laughs> Herbert cut his hair. <laughs> like I'm still uh, about again, it. just something I would have forgotten. Um, and uh, he, so he was on the Pat McAfee show talking about it, and he's going to grow it back. He said, and then it, then McAfee was like, are you going to cut it again, though? And he's like, I don't know. It's People are very invested in this, and reasonably so. But I think it's just so funny that Justin Herbert went from just being a guy that everyone was kind of split about, about how good of an NFL quarterback he would be, the third guy picked in the draft, to somebody whose personal appearance became very important to all of us over the course of like a two-month period. Well, I do imagine that by the next time, so he's going to grow the hair back and he has really good hair, so he should grow it back. But by the time that he'll need another haircut, maybe LA and Southern California will be at a place where he'll be able to go and get it professionally done. Because <laughs> rather than having the strength, the strength coach take a, take a butter knife to his head. Oh God, it was so terrible. Um, so that was, that was a fun moment. Um, but so yeah, I would, I would put Josh Allen in there too. And then I think related to Josh Allen, I think it was kind of this development, this big step that the Bills took and the Browns took. Because these are yeah. two perennially struggling franchises who now have moved into the place where I think we're going to be talking them as serious AFC contenders for years to come because of the way they're built, um, the coaching that they have on with both of those teams. You know, I think, you know, we're kind of still waiting to see uh, Baker Mayfield have kind of a transcendent season. But I think the pieces are there. So that was one of my really big takeaways was um, was those two teams and the in the leap that they took in the AFC because you know I think we're we're going to head into next year with the Chiefs being you know the favorite in the AFC and they should be because they have the best player in football and he's probably get, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the best player in football for a long time but we're seeing kind of a changing of the hierarchy of the other teams in the AFC and the other teams that should be around for a while and that was because of what we saw out of the culture change in Cleveland because of Kevin Stefanski and what he did and the significant leap that Josh Allen took this year. I totally agree. And I, and I think that I've really come to appreciate just the processes that happen within these buildings and how much the voice at the top really matters. You know, if you look at the Browns, a lot of the players are the same. You know, They went out and got a couple new offensive linemen this year, and that was obviously important to get Jedrick Wills in the first round to sign Jack Conklin, obviously, and Wyatt Teller's ascension. Having that improvement along your offensive line is certainly helpful. 
But I really think that having a different voice there and what Kevin Stefanski was for that organization, just kind of this calming force that he became. And the same is true for Buffalo. I mean, you talk and think about just the types of people they want to bring into that building and just how strong the culture they've built is there. That gives you lasting power. And that kind of transitions into one of the other things that I had. And one of the things I'll remember most about this season is just how clear it was that the margins in the NFL are so, so small. Even you saying, it seems like the Bills and the Browns would be around for a long time. That like kind of makes me recoil because th- that's not guaranteed. That's not yeah. promised to anybody in this league. I mean, the idea, if you had told me at the end of the 2017 season, when we were sitting there in Minneapolis and Nick Foles was holding that trophy, that three years from now, Doug Peterson would be fired. Carson Wentz would be on the trade block. Jared Goff would be a member of the Lions. All of this stuff, it just is incredible to me how fast it all changes. You know, at the end of the 2019 season, it really felt like the Ravens were the next thing. Obviously, Mahomes was Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. But Lamar Jackson had just come off of this MVP season. The Ravens were this buzzsaw of an offense. And even if they stumbled in the playoffs, they were the most efficient, dangerous offense in the NFL in 2019. We're sitting here now a year later wondering how to fix what they are offensively. And it just shows you so much how you need to stay one step ahead and how slim all those margins are. And to me, that even extends to the teams that were good this year. The idea that dropping Tom Brady in for Jameis Winston could take the Bucs from a 7-9 and nine team to a team that destroyed the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. And obviously, a quarterback is so important. But that's a slim margin still. That's a little tiny tweak. And I think that sort of tweak is informing some of the thinking and the decisions that teams are making about their own quarterbacks right now. They're sitting there being like, if we make this one change, where can it take us? And similar, I think this is in the same boat. I'll remember just how tiny the differences are between a Packers team that won 13 games in 2019, but was merely a very good offense and MVP Aaron Rodgers. Just little tiny changes in the calibrations can take it from we're pretty good to we have the MVP and the best player in football. There were people who were going to write off Aaron Rodgers that had left him for dead as an elite quarterback after last year and the last three seasons. And he came in and won the MVP award. And that's how small the little tweaks have to be to go from being merely very good in the NFL to great, from being great to being out of a job. It's just incredible how fast all this stuff changes. All right. I want to, since we're looking back, I want to just like rapid fire, go through a couple of my just favorite on field football moments. The things that uh, like, I wish I had done from, this is a great idea. From 2020. Well, I'm going to jump in the cut and you, maybe it'll spin your brain a little bit and you'll think of some. All right. So we have the Browns Ravens Monday night football game, the Lamar Jackson poop game. How fun was it to be on Twitter that night? Right. I mean, that was it maybe was, the game of the year. 47, 42. It came at the right moment. Because at that point in the season, your eyes have kind of glazed over. You think you know who's good. You think you know who's bad. There's a little bit of football fatigue. And then that was just like a sh- It was like the scene in Pulp Fiction where they jam the adrenaline needle into Uma Thurma's chest. Like, that's how I felt after watching that game. I was like, let's do this. I am so ready. 
I let my four-year-old stay up to like 10 o'clock so we could watch that entire game. I mean, it was an insanely good game, too. I mean, it was when the Browns were really hot. The Ravens yeah. were kind of putting it all together again. They were on the streak. Yeah, it was 47-42. Lamar comes back out of the bathroom to to lead this comeback at the end of the game. So I got so I've got that moment. Let's think back all the way to week two when the Falcons didn't know how to recover an onside kick. How oh, insane was that moment? And this was pre-Dak injury. So we had Dak Prescott going nuts, leading this incredible comeback. And then we had that insane moment where it's like they just looked at it like they'd never seen a football on the ground before. And that was just also really instructive about what would happen the rest of the season. Dan Quinn getting fired, This all the changes would go on in Dallas or uh, in Atlanta and then Dak's injury. But that exact moment was one of those like, holy shit, I can't believe that happened moment. I also have um, DeAndre Hopkins, Hail Mary, the end of that Kyler Murray, Josh Allen battle and the DeAndre Hopkins out oh, jumping yeah. like 16 Bills defenders to go up there and and catch that ball. I mean, there were a couple really wild um, Cardinals games like they were involved with a couple like the games of the year. They had a game against the Seahawks that was just nuts and just fun as hell. But that exactly oh, the DK Metcalf that, play. Yeah. Um, yeah, when he chased, is that where he chased down, uh, Buda Baker, where he chased him down Buda from behind him, like, 20, yeah. like, like 15 yard head start. The Cardinals are, it's so funny that the Cardinals, again, those margins, it really did seem like at a certain point in the first half of the season, like the Cardinals would be one of the stories of the year, right? Kyler Murray felt like an MVP candidate. It seemed like they were kind of on the ascension and then they just stalled out in the second half of the season. But it, there were so many Cardinals moments from this year and then it just didn't happen for them at the end. That, that is, I'll remember that. I'll remember just kind of their overall arc and trajectory and how strange it was because you're right. They were a, a part of so many kind of memorable moments from the year. Um, and then what I, I have one other like game moment that just like the viral craziness, craziness. And that was the Greg Williams all out blitz, uh, call <laughs> against the Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing that happened. That was a moment that happened. And just, you know, the jets being the worst team and then actually losing the number one overall pick. But, but that moment when they called that blitz and the, and the Raiders go down and they score a touchdown and, um, that was just one of those moments that I'm just never going to forget. And I forget, you know, Twitter can be the worst place in the world 99% of the time, but on NFL Sundays, it is the freaking best. And I just love the community there on Sundays and Monday nights and Tuesday afternoons and Wednesday afternoons this year. And those <laughs> moments just make it all, all worth it. Oh God, those are all so good. I, I, I'm trying to think if there's any that were left on the table. I mean, there's just, there were a couple of plays this year like I'll remember the Patrick Mahomes to Tyree Kill touchdown from the first Bucks Chiefs game where it was just like a 60-yard bomb that was just like there's only two guys in the world that can make that play. I'll remember just Travis Kelsey being the best receiver in the NFL yeah. for stretches of this year as a tight end. Like that that will definitely stick with me. Uh watching Devontae Adams. I mean, just his kind of ascension to being the most productive receiver in the league. After week one, I wrote that I thought it was gonna happen. You know, when you watched him in that game against the Vikings, it was like, you know, we'll see what happens. Like DeAndre is switching teams. You know, Julio's already dinged up. And Michael Thomas got hurt in week one. And Devontae just kind of being the guy as a receiver this year. I will absolutely remember that. I mean, it's just he I love his game so much and just the ins and outs of it. So that that'll definitely be something that sticks with me. How about Derrick Henry, two thousand rushing yards? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that offense. And, yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry, 2,000 rushing yards. That that offense and what it looked like when they were really rolling. I mean, that, that team and who knows what it'll be like now that Arthur Smith is gone. But yeah, just some incredible individual performances this year. All right. Let's get, let's spin this forward a little bit. Let's think about the things that we're most looking forward to this offseason. Why don't you start? All right. Well, so you kind of, you, you mentioned a couple of these guys before, but we played this 2020 season without so many of these, the NFL's best players and the best stars. And there was, there was a week really early in the season where it was just, it felt like star after star after star was getting hurt. It was the day that Nick Bosa and Saquon Barkley both su- suffered ACL injuries. But you look through the whole list of some of the, the best marquee players in the NFL that weren't able to play in this 2020 season or only played very, very sparingly, just a small amount of the season. Dak Prescott, Nick Bosa, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey didn't get end up on IR till very late in the year, but he he barely played. Um, Von Miller, Derwin James, Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, it is a really long list of guys that we just didn't get to see in 2020. Yeah. Guys that could change the NFL in 2021. So I'm really excited to get Mitchell Schwartz. Think about him being playing in that Super yeah. Bowl. Whew, would have been a different it had been a different game. I mean, I don't. I, I, the Bucks probably still could have won that game, but it would have been a completely different game if you have one of the best right tackles in the NFL playing. So yeah, I mean, injuries were a major. I mean, they're a factor every year, but just the complete like star power of guys that we lost this year and that we didn't get to see, and you know, teams who would have been completely different. Look, the the Cowboys would have won the NFC East if Dak Prescott. Absolutely. Hadn't suffered that gruesome ankle injury uh, in week four. So, you know, Derwin James, I mean, completely changes the Chargers defense. Von Miller, you know, we don't know what his future looks like now, if he's going to be in Denver, if he's going to be a free agent somewhere else. I mean, Saquon Barkley would have, you know, he was the, what, number one, number two overall pick in all every single fantasy draft, Christian McCaffrey. So that's what I'm looking forward to kind of initially is just looking like what, you know, who's coming back. And how is that going to change the NFL landscape? I mean, the Niners, I only mentioned Nick Bosa. I mean, the Niners defense was completely decimated by injuries this year. And they probably would have been in the playoffs. I mean, I think you automatically, you put those injured guys back in. They're right back in the mix for the for the NFC West. So, you know, I'm just really looking forward to these guys getting healthy. And, you know, I'm look, other guys are going to get hurt in 2021. But if you get that sort of, I mean, it was like an all-pro roster of guys that yeah. weren't able to play in 2020 and 2020. So that's the first thing that I'm looking forward to is, is that crop of guys getting healthy and playing again. Oh, man. I'm so pumped to watch Derwin James and Brandon Staley's defense. I'm like already <laughs> excited about it. I'm like already having to throw cold water on how pumped I am for the Chargers because it's a very familiar road to me and one that never leads anywhere good. But I think this year might be different. All right. Speaking of Dak Prescott, the thing I am most looking forward to this offseason is just the quarterback movement in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And we've already seen it start. I mean, the fact that it's what, February 10th and Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford are already on different teams. And who knows what's going to happen with Carson Wentz? Who knows what's going to happen with Dak? Does Deshaun Watson end up getting traded? Russell Wilson and all the stuff that's come out about him this week and him being unhappy in Seattle. I feel so bad for our friends who cover teams. <laughs> I feel so, so bad. Poor, I feel like poor so Aaron bad. Aaron Reese in Houston. Poor, poor Aaron Reese, poor Michael Sean, poor Zach Kiefer and Stephen Holder, who anytime a quarterback breathes, they have to think about whether or not they're going to end up with the Colts. It's just, and all the guys in Chicago now with everything that's happening, and Cat Terrell is going to have to think about every single quarterback because the Saints are liable to do anything. I just, the... 
none of the guy of the our friends that cover these teams are going to be able to get a decent night's sleep until like the middle of May when all of these rosters are set. It's going to be a well, long, long stretch. Well, what's so kind of fun about this is that how many years would we go? I mean, basically every offseason where there would be one, maybe two open quarterback 100%. jobs. And it was just, you know, and it was like the free agent crop. Like, you know, I live here in Denver and a couple years ago, like Case Keenum was like the big free agent signing. Like, <laughs> how freaking boring is that now? So we had last year where we had Brady on the move. We had Philip Rivers on the move. We had Cam Newton sitting out there for months and months and months. Um and now all of a sudden, this I didn't think anything was going to be able to match last offseason in terms of the quarterback market. And this year is already crazier. We're going to have so much movement. I mean, I think when you when you look at next year, how many teams are going to have a new starting quarterback? It's wild. And it's going to be really fun. And yes, those guys, all of our beat writer friends are not going to get any sleep. You and I are going to be getting called in for uh, breaking news packages and breaking news headline or uh, breaking news podcasts, you know, February, March, April. But it's going to be fun. And that's why the NFL is a freaking juggernaut, because it's going to be the dominant sports news story from now until they kick off the first week of September. So, I mean, just to like pull the curtain back a tiny bit. I mean, typically when we do a podcast in the past, when I was doing the show at the ringer with the Kevin, with Kevin, with the Kevin, when I was doing the show at the ringer with <laughs> he Kevin. I would appreciate you calling we, him the Kevin. It's fine. <laughs> the Kevin. Uh, when, when we press pause after the Super Bowl, you felt pretty comfortable going away until the combine. And that's just kind of the, the rhythms of the NFL schedule and how it worked. We're going to be off next week. I don't know if we can go away until March. I feel like we're going to have to be on alert this entire offseason because of how much stuff is sitting there looming, which is exciting. You know, that's not a complaint. That's really cool. The fact that there aren't these dead periods in the NFL calendar anymore, it doesn't kind of crack into your vacation time when... Sure, but you can't go anywhere anyway right now. So you might right? as well be exactly. talking about football. So just I want to set the record straight right now. Because this is something that I haven't been able to talk about on the podcast because we've been talking about the Super Bowl as we should. I just want to talk about Carson Wentz to the Bears very briefly. So I just am <laughs> on record with, with with what we're talking about here. I've said some stuff on Twitter that is somewhat in jest, and I, and I want to be clear about that because it's easy to make jokes about a guy who was one of the three worst quarterbacks in the NFL last season getting traded to your team for a lot of picks. By all accounts, it does seem like the Eagles are asking for a king's ransom for Carson Wentz because they're not that incentivized to trade him for nothing. I mean, it's they're going to take a huge dead cap hit. And I think that they're kind of throwing that out there to get people to bite and kind of pitting teams against one another. That asking price is insane. And I don't think they're going to get it. If the Bears were to trade two first-round picks for Carson Wentz, I would buy a houseboat and just drift out to sea. But that's not going to happen. So it all becomes a p the question of price now. And I think that the argument, there is absolutely an argument for seeing Carson Wentz as a distressed asset that you can kind of refurbish. But that argument is rooted in the idea that you can put a better supporting cast and environment around him than the one he got in Philadelphia last year. So let's just play this hypothetically. Let's say you're the Colts, okay? And you trade a second round pick for Carson Wentz who has a pretty moderate quarterback salary over the next couple of years. It's tolerable starting quarterback money. If you do that, if you're Indianapolis, you can absolutely make the argument that our support system is better set up to get more out of Carson Wentz than what we saw from him in, in Philadelphia. One, 
You have Frank Reich there, who is the offensive play caller and just the czar of that entire football team. And he was the offensive coordinator in Philadelphia when Carson Wentz was great. He is the play caller. He is the overseer of that entire system. You have arguably, even with questions at left tackle, one of the best offensive lines in the league and the best possible pass protection you can assemble. It's so easy to look at a Carson Wentz to Indianapolis trade and say, we can get the most out of this guy. This is a risk worth taking because we can extract value from a trade in a lot of different outcomes. With the Bears, that's so much harder to do. Let's say if you're, and I think the Colts are less prone to trade a lot for them because of the way that Chris Ballard operates and the fact that he's not operating from a position of desperation in the same way that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy are. And that's something we can get to in a second. But let's say the Bears trade a first round pick for Carson Wentz, okay? That's a lot to trade for him. You're paying the same amount, but you don't have that infrastructure that gives you hope that you can extract that amount of value from that trade. Your offensive line has question marks all over the place. Your receiving core is barren. You have no money and Allen Robinson is a free agent. So you don't have anyone for him to throw to. You don't have anybody to block for him. And there are questions about how much the offensive scheme can help Carson Wentz in Chicago. I know John D. Filippo is there as the passing game coordinator, but I think there's a reason John D. Filippo has kind of bounced around some of these jobs. And Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, a team that is pretty much in contention to be in the playoffs every single year and gets the most out of its quarterbacks. You're looking at a situation that gets the least out of their quarterbacks and the most out of their quarterbacks consistently. And I think that's something to really, really think about. I'm not even blaming this on Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy because they were brought back with a mandate to win immediately. They are going to make a move like this because their jobs are at stake. I understand why they would. The problem for Chicago is even putting this situation in place to create this desperation with their decision makers to feel like they need to make this trade for Carson Wentz. That is the concern. This is an institutional issue. I'm not even upset that they would make that they would be considering this sort of move because yes, there is upside there. We've seen him be very good. I don't think he was ever as good as he showed that year. I think that was more of a flash in the pan than what we've seen since. And I think that if you see some of the ways that he exacerbated the pass protection there, everything else, I have serious questions about Carson Wentz. But yes, it is a low, somewhat low risk, high upside move. I just don't trust that they have the pieces and infrastructure in place to get the most out of him in the same way that other teams do. That is like a two minute long diatribe, but I just wanted this on the record somewhere. <laughs> so when Carson Wentz plays well, even if it's in Chicago, people are just like, you said Carson Wentz was terrible. I think that you have to trust that you can extract value from a trade for Carson Wentz. I don't have a ton of faith in the Bears ability to do that. I wanted to take this beyond the Twitter jokes that I've made. And that's fair. We we had this conversation off the record, <laughs> off the podcast the other day in Tampa. So I'm glad that you got it fully on the record now. And it's going to be really interesting. I mean, he could get traded like at any moment. It's one of those where it's like we kind of expected like maybe it was going to happen Saturday night. Maybe it was going to happen during the Super Bowl. And, you know, here we are now Wednesday morning. It hasn't happened yet. But that means that they're they're figuring out value. And what are the actual offers that are out there. Um, before we move off of quarterbacks, because I know we're going to go like really deep on the quarterbacks market, you know, over the next couple of weeks, because that is the thing to talk about. <laughs> Quick yes or no, if, if the guy is going to actually get traded before 2021 or before the 2021 season, Deshaun Watson. Yes. Carson Wentz. Yes. Sam Darnold. Yes. Russell Wilson. No. 
All right. Is there who else should I miss? Is there anybody else that could be on the move? What do you, what do you think about Derek Carr? Ooh, um, I don't think they would trade him to replace him with a rookie. But if all of a sudden they're the ones that are into that Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, for example, then then he could be on the move. I think he would be collateral damage in some other sort of um, some other trade scenario. Similar to Jared Goff, but kind of a similar yeah. idea. Yeah, yeah, I think so. So that that thing, that just means the way you ran through that, that just means the next couple of weeks are going to be really fucking fun. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Deshaun Watson, based on no reporting and only speculation, what is like the craziest place for him? Is it? I think it's New Orleans. I think it's the Saints just being like, you know what? Just like the Elmo in the fire gif, just like let it all come down. We don't give a shit. Let's just do everything we can. I They're like the craziest team that this could wind up happening for. I don't think it's going to happen. That's such a tough needle to thread. But that is the one where I'm just like, oh, man, what if the Saints just did something insane? Well, and the Saints like only do things that are insane. So it would be it would be weird if the Saints did something that was super boring yes. and like not off the wall. So so sure. Oh, I guess, you know, I didn't include Jimmy Garoppolo on that list of could get traded. I think, you know, you, you got to keep him kind of in that conversation, too. I still would love to see him. Deshaun Watson end up in San Francisco, but New Orleans would be pretty fun. But yeah. And the other thing about Deshaun Watson, too, is that I think that would be attractive to him. I think he would play well there. What about Miami? We haven't even talked about Miami yet. Um I think Miami is the most reasonable destination. If I I were thinking about the teams that have the motivation to do it, his desire to go there, all of that stuff, all the factors lining up, Miami still makes the most sense to me. But again, I think that when you have a player of his caliber, who is, in my opinion, probably the second most valuable chip in the NFL right now after Patrick Mahomes... It's every team is coming out of the woodwork. It's not. It's similar to the idea that a team like the Niners was thinking about Tom Brady last season. 
teams that even seem like they're kind of set at that position, when somebody like Deshaun Watson becomes available, you're not as set at that position. You're going to consider every possible avenue. So I just think that there are teams out there that we're not even thinking of because he is such an intriguing idea. And he does have that no trade clause, so he is going to have yep. some, say, some say in this. And obviously the Texans don't seem keen on moving him, but at some point it's going to come to a it's kind of come to a point where something has to like movement has to happen because I think he would not show up. I think that is the thing that could actually happen. And that maybe you know, we didn't talk about this previously, but another takeaway from the 2020 season that I think is absolutely going to carry into 2021 and moving forward is player empowerment. And yeah. The way that players in 2020 were able to use their voices and their platform for social issues, the Black Lives Matter video back in the the first week of June, and Mm -hmm. how tangibly that video moved Roger Goodell to a place that he never was going to go, and and the NFL was never going to go onto his own. But bigger picture, what what we learned about players being able to get traded and force a trade and get themselves into a better situation. It was already kind of starting, but we're really coming to a point now where this is going to become the norm in the NFL. And if we see Deshaun Watson do it at the premium position, when he had a no trade clause and the type of contract that he has, it's going to be a um, landmark moment in the NFL. So I I think that the Deshaun Watson, we've talked about that just a little bit on the show. The, what really kind of sets that apart to me is that he has every bit of the optics on his side. He has the public opinion that the court of public opinion, he has won. And that so very rarely happens for players where them holding out, there are so few critics of that choice. And I don't think there should be, but often there are. And with him, everyone knows that the Texans are a shit show and that they're like an absolute disaster. So if he decides I'm not going there, no one's going to be like, oh man, Deshaun Watson, he's given up on his team. No, they've given up on him. And that's why, in my opinion, that's a little bit different than Russell Wilson saying, well, sorry, Pete Carroll, I'm just not showing up right now. The the Deshaun Watson thing to me is a little bit different than any other consideration. And that's why I think it's so interesting. I think even Texans fans get it. Even Texans fans, like, they just want the best for him. Yes, which is so funny. All right. So my my other one here, and talking about the Saints, I think this is a team that, you know, is applicable here. I am going to be fascinated how the cap crunch affects player movement this offseason if teams are willing to just say you know what we don't care like we're just gonna if teams like green bay for example right who are typically a pay-as-you-go sort of team rarely push money into further years if they say let's convert some base salaries into signing bonuses let's kick the financial can down the road i know we don't often do this but the circumstances are such that we don't really care anymore we want to bring back Corey lindsley we want to bring back Uh, Aaron Jones, we want to try to bring in some other guys in the way that the Saints have in recent years where we're doing this kind of wonky stuff on the books. How much do teams, are are they affected by the cap and how much do teams just say, this is so weird that we're going to change the way that we think? You know, in a normal season, we overstate how important the salary cap is when teams are considering free agents. You know, the idea that the Saints last year were just looking for you know any dime they could under the carpet in their house to try to get Jadevian Clowney. I don't let's see if that's going to happen again. If more teams are going to be pushed to that place or if teams are cash strapped enough, if that's real enough, where we're going to see a bunch of people 
on expensive veteran contracts released because teams are conscious of this. I have not had enough conversations about this idea. That's something I plan on doing in the next few weeks about how it's actually going to shape the offseason. But the question and the consideration is definitely at the forefront of my mind here as we kind of move on to 2021. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I've started having those conversations too, talking to people, especially within the NFLPA and the Asian community about what uh, what this offseason is going to look like and what contracts are going to look like and how if deals are going to be structured differently if players are going to want to take shorter deals with a shorter deal one year um, lower salary but more guarantees just to get through 2021 with the expectation that the salary cap is going to go up in 2022 which it absolutely is going to and it, I think the cap is going to be slightly higher than that 175 million dollar floor what we've been kind of playing with it might be more in that $180 million range is what kind of the expectation is right now, which it's not significant. I mean, it's $5 million more per team. A lot of teams do have rollover money from 2020. So it might not be quite as dire as we were expecting, but that middle class of NFL players is the group that's going to feel the crunch. The biggest stars, those guys are going to be fine. Um, rookie Guys on rookie contracts and their first deals, those guys are going to be fine. It's going to be those guys that are in that, you know, that are on their second contracts that want to get a third deal that maybe have, you know, that don't have a ton of guaranteed money left, that they're under, they're going to be the cap casualties, going to be having to shop maybe for bargain deals, really bet on themselves heading into 2022. So that's something that um, I'm going to be asking a lot of questions about, should be writing about you know, fairly soon. Maybe you and I can work together on some of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's going to be really interesting because the free agent market is going to be both really wild based on the names that are going to be out there, but also probably really challenging based on the lack of money that's going to be overall available. I think this is going to be a year where you see how much cash matters in the NFL. Yes. And the teams that have that are cash rich and that have a lot of liquidity and have some money stored away for a rainy day that aren't feeling the crunch necessarily from the season and can say, not a, we, can, we can handle this cap dip because we're comfortable pushing money and spending a little bit more cash. Because that's the question, right? It's If you have $60 million in cap space, that seems like you'd have an advantage in a season like this. But if your owner doesn't have cap, if your team doesn't have cash on hand and you can't spend to the cap, it doesn't really matter how many players are out there. Even if you're a team that's up against the cap, if you have cash and you're willing to spend and you just say, let's kick the can down the road, some of these guys that are available that wouldn't have been because teams aren't willing to spend, can we spend right now and massage the cap a little bit? That's going to be the biggest question to me is which teams are not, not which teams do and do not have cap space right now, but which teams do and do not feel comfortable spending money in this moment. I think that is going to be what dominates this. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think you know, people with inside the NFL will always tell you cash is king and it's all about cash. The cap is basically just a construct, um, but it's going to become really apparent. And I think kind of casual football fans and people who don't have as much of, you know, aren't as invested in learning about the ins and outs of the financial part. They're going to get a lesson in that this year because it's going to be uh, it's going to be really really apparent. One who has the cash to spend, who have the really smart um, front office people, and then also who believes they are in their window to win right now and are going to be willing to spend that spend that cash in a year that otherwise might be really challenging. So, you know, it's it's going to be fun, and we're it's going to make sure we have a ton of stuff to talk about. <laughs> I mean, no I'm just off. like no days like off. for example, like the Bucks. Like, what are the Bucks going to do with yeah. Shaq Barrett and Levante David and all of these questions they have? It's a big, big question because the cap going down, you know, this is a team that I think would probably try to do everything they could to keep this group together next year. 
are they going to be able to? Are they going to say, screw it, we're going to bring back everybody, we don't care about this, all of that. I mean, Chris Godwin is a free agent too. They just have so many questions. I think they're kind of a really interesting test case for how this is going to go. Okay, do you have any others? That, that was my last one. I only had th- those two. Yeah, I mean, I guess just the the other thing is that, you know, 2020 was so abnormal and I think it would be naive to expect that the 2021 season is going to look like 2019 did. But I am somewhat optimistic that by at some point next fall, we're going to be getting back to a little bit more of normalcy in our jobs, in everybody's jobs. So, you know, I'm looking forward to hopefully going to training camp and being able to talk to people in person. And it might not it might not happen. And it's not going to happen until vaccination rates climb across the country and certainly within the NFL. But, you know, that's, I guess, really just the thing I'm kind of looking forward to is that you know, we made it through this year. We kind of now have a clean slate of story ideas of um, just everything that's going to happen. And just hopefully we'll be able to get out there. We're going to be able to see our friends within this business again. I mean, there was, we had a little bit of that last week where you got to see, you know, a couple of our, you know, the NFL media colleagues behind masks and socially distanced and, you know, Sam Farmer and I went for a walk along the Bayfront as a way to, you know, kind of spend time together, but in a safe, socially distanced way. And, you know, I'm just hoping this, you know, this kind of bring it back to where we were at the very beginning of the show. You know, for us, you know, those of us who cover the NFL for for a living, you know, I love our colleagues at The Athletic. It's my favorite thing about working here is this team that we have. This, I mean, there's 40 or 50 NFL writers that we have. Um, but we kind of have this larger NFL media family, right? And it's the the people who cover the league and cover the teams all the way across the league at all sort of different outlets. And, you know, usually you get together at the Super Bowl, at the Combine, and it's a convention for us too. And you talk about stories and writing and reporting and um, sourcing and all of that stuff. And we haven't had that this year. And, um, you know, I talked to our colleague, Nate Taylor, who covers the Chiefs, who was really close with Therese yesterday. And, you know, we just feel like this year robbed us of that connection, right? And the time to see people together. So I'm just hopeful, finally, for the first time, you know, as, you know, my parents have gotten their vaccines and, um, you know, hopeful that at some point we'll be able to get our vaccines and that come fall, we'll be able to see each other and have kind of that community again and be able to see the people that matter. I totally agree. I'm, I'm going to miss that this year, seeing everybody and just what, you know, the combine is so silly, but it's, it is good to see everyone. And I miss seeing everyone at the Super Bowl. It was great to see you though. And it was great to see Nate and we went to dinner and you know, it was, it just felt like a little bit of normalcy and you know, sitting outside and, and wearing masks and all of that. But it was, it was good to see you guys. And I, it was great to do this with you all year. You know, we've known each other for a long time. It was so fun to get to be coworkers and, and to really dig into this. And it's been fun to be a part of that athletic family. And to, you know, I've worked a, def- a couple different jobs. It's so different. You know, at the Ringer, it was there were four of us. You know, four or five people who covered the NFL regularly. This is such a a big difference. And being part of that and just the sense of community that exists here and how everyone kind of pulls for one another. I've really enjoyed that. I love being a part of a team and this team has been new and I've really loved it and I've really enjoyed it and I've really loved getting the chance to do it with you. And I can't wait to keep doing that. So it's going to be a fun off season. You know, I, like you said, it's a blank slate. I, I was sitting there waiting for my Uber in the to hotel in Tampa on Monday. And I just wrote off season podcast ideas on the top of a page of a notebook. And it's just like, all right, let's do it. And that's a fun, just bit of possibility and just that blank slate of an off season, what we're going to have the chance to do. So just a heads up to everybody. We're going to take next week off. This is going to be our last show until at least February 22nd. 
And like I said, typically we would have taken that week off too, but who knows what's going to happen. I will be on alert. If something happens that we have to react to, we'll be back, but nothing is set in stone. We will definitely be back with regularly scheduled programming on the week of March 1st. The plan I have right now is to come to you guys three times a week through the draft. And there's just going to be so much stuff to talk about. Everything we just mentioned, I mean, those are podcast ideas. Those are shows. And we're going to do all of that. So that's going to be the plan starting in March, just three shows a week up through the draft. And then we'll see what happens after that. So please check back the week of February 22nd on my Twitter, on Lindsay's, on all of ours for reactions to news. But right now, just know March 1st, we'll be back with three shows a week, you know, coming to you guys. I, w- I want to say on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, but that hasn't been set in stone quite yet. It seems silly to need to record on Sunday for a Monday show when there's no games. So that's going to be something we'll iron out, but we will definitely be back. And thank you guys so much for listening all season. Lindsay, thank you for doing this. I had such a good time and uh, I can't wait to keep going. Yeah. Thanks so much. And you guys are all subscribed by now, right? So the shows are just going to pop up on your feed and we'll, we'll, we'll stay in your earbuds as much as we can all off season. So thanks, Robert. This has been really fun and we'll, uh, we'll see you when the off season really kicks off. All right, guys, please. If, uh, if you could do me a favor, if you like the show this year, please go leave a review and a rating on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. We almost have a thousand of them in season one, which I'm, I'm extremely proud of. And I really appreciate all of you taking the time to do that. Please subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show. It's $3.99 a month still. Uh, there's going to be so much off-season content coming your way. Shilka Padia already has his top 50 free agent list that he's been doing and updating. It's an invaluable resource if you want to know who's going to be on the market. We have so many fun ideas coming to you here in the next few weeks. If you really want to learn about what the NFL offseason is going to look like, The Athletic is an indispensable resource. So if you are not subscribed, please do that. We'll be back at some point. So thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.